Uh, we have uh, returned to the Gospel of John after uh, we were in the, the first part of this Gospel in the fall of 2015, and now we are coming and transitioning to the second part of John's story and letting him lead us uh, into Easter as a congregation. And uh, remind you that uh, the Gospel of John is, is in some ways like an art gallery. Uh, John is the most visual of all the Gospel writers, and so he gives us these profound pictures of Jesus. But where it's not like in our gallery is as he gives us these profound pictures of Jesus, he doesn't want us just to stand at a distance and observe. Uh, he invites our response. He invites our repentance, our belief, and our trust. He invites us to respond to the beauty of who Jesus is and what he has done. The first part of this gospel is organized around seven signs, seven remarkable things that Jesus does to reveal who he is. And we have the final one here in John chapter 11, which again transitions to the second part of the gospel. And so join me in John chapter 11. I'm going to read a more extended passage than I usually do, but I think it's worth hearing this whole story. So I'll read from verse 1 to verse 44. John 11, verse 1. Hear now the word of the Lord. Now a certain man was ill, Lazarus of Bethany, the village of Mary and her sister Martha. It was Mary who anointed the Lord with ointment and wiped his feet with her hair, whose brother Lazarus was ill. So the sisters sent to him, saying, Lord, he whom you love is ill. But when Jesus heard it, he said, this illness does not lead to death. It is for the glory of God, so that the Son of God may be glorified through it. Now Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus. So when he heard that Lazarus was ill, he stayed two days longer in the place where he was. Then after this, he said to his disciples, let us go to Judea again. The disciples said to him, Rabbi... The Jews were just now seeking to stone you. And are you going there again? Jesus answered, Are there not twelve hours in the day? If anyone walks in the day, he does not stumble, because he sees the light of the world. But if anyone walks in the night, he stumbles, because the light is not in him. After saying these things, he said to them, Our friend Lazarus has fallen asleep, but I go to awaken him. The disciples said to him, Lord, if he has fallen asleep, he will recover. Now Jesus had spoken of his death, but they thought he meant taking rest in sleep. Then Jesus told them plainly, Lazarus has died. And for your sake, I am glad that I was not there so that you may believe. But let us go to him. So Thomas called the twins said to his fellow disciples, let us also go that we may die with him. Now, when Jesus came, he found that Lazarus had already been in the tomb four days. Bethany was near Jerusalem, about two miles off, and many of the Jews had come to Martha and Mary to console them concerning their brother. So when Martha heard that Jesus was coming, she went and met him. But Mary remained seated in the house. Martha said to Jesus, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. But even now, I know that whatever you ask from God, God will give you. Jesus said to her, your brother will rise again. Martha said to him, I know that he will rise again in the resurrection on the last day. Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. 
Whoever believes in me, though he die, yet shall he live. And everyone who lives and believes in me shall never die. Do you believe this? She said to him, Yes, Lord. I believe that you are the Christ, the Son of God, who is coming into the world. When she had said this, she went and called her sister Mary, saying in private, The teacher is here and is calling for you. And when she heard it, she rose quickly and went to him. Now Jesus had not yet come into the village, but was still in the place where Martha had met him. When the Jews who were with her in the house, consoling her, saw Mary rise quickly and go out, they followed her, supposing that she was going to the tomb to weep there. Now when Mary came to where Jesus was and saw him, she fell at his feet, saying to him, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. When Jesus saw her weeping and the Jews who had come with her also weeping, he was deeply moved in his spirit and greatly troubled. And he said, where have you laid him? And they said to him, Lord, come and see. Jesus wept. So the Jews said, see how he loved him. But some of them said, could not he who opened the eyes of the blind man also have kept this man from dying? Then Jesus, deeply moved again, came to the tomb. It was a cave, and a stone lay against it. Jesus said, Take away the stone. Martha, the sister of the dead man, said to him, Lord, by this time there will be an odor, for he has been dead four days. Jesus said to her, Did I not tell you that if you believed, you would see the glory of God? So they took away the stone. And Jesus lifted up his eyes and said, Father, I thank you that you have heard me. I knew that you always hear me, but I said this on account of the people standing around, that they may believe that you sent me. When he had said these things, he cried out with a loud voice, Lazarus, come out. The man who had died came out, his hands and feet bound with linen strips and his face wrapped with a cloth. And Jesus said to them, and bind him and let him go. Let's pray. Father, what a, what a remarkable story. It is, it's, it is hard to get our minds around what we have just read. Not only what Jesus does but but what he says and so we come uh, saying as a uh, another man said in the gospels lord i believe help our unbelief uh, we come in, in a profound need uh, for your help to to grasp uh, what we read here not just as ideas, um, not just as history, uh, but as your words to us, your action in us through your Son and Spirit. We need your help, and so would you open our eyes, our ears, and our hearts to receive uh, the life-changing power of your word. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. 
went to a doctor's appointment recently, and it was at an office that I had never been to. And I thought I knew how to get there, uh, but apparently I didn't. Uh, because I ended up parking in the wrong parking lot and wandering around for 20 minutes until I finally found where I was supposed to be. But here's the deal. Even with parking in the wrong place and walking around for 20, 20 minutes, I still walked into my appointment right on time. Why? Well, because I grew up in a family with a dad who, I'll put it this way, if you ask my dad, what are the greatest virtues a human being can possess? He knows his Bible well enough that he'd say, well, faith, hope, and love. But then number four would be punctuality. (laughs) And he'd want to try to get that into the top three. Uh, We're the type of people that if the airline says, you need to show up four hours before your flight, we'd show up four hours and 30 minutes before our flight just to be on the safe side. I still break out in a cold sweat if I'm running late. Some of you are like that. Jesus is not like us. Jesus is not like those who are obsessed with punctuality. Isn't John 11 the story of Jesus being late? Jesus not showing up on time. And and, and that's not just an, an annoying inconvenience. It's lethal. Jesus doesn't show up on time. And Lazarus dies. Which raises some pretty serious questions, some pretty disturbing questions, uh, not only about Jesus' responsibility, being a responsible adult, but it raises serious questions about his love. Do you hear the tension in verses 5 and 6? Verse 5 talks about how much he loves these siblings, Martha, Mary, and Lazarus. Then verse 6 says, after he hears about the illness of Lazarus, he just stays where he is. He hangs out for a few days where he is after he has heard that Lazarus is sick. The community around this family, grieving with this family, they feel that tension as well. In verse 36, they see Jesus weeping and they say, look how much he loved him. Look how much he loved Lazarus. Why didn't he show up on time? He could have come. He healed a blind man. We just heard about that last week. He healed a blind man. He could have come and he could have healed Lazarus. There seems to be a tension there between the way that Jesus acts and the deep love that he is said to have for this family. And can't you relate to those questions? Aren't those questions that have bounced around in your mind and heart? If Jesus loves me, why doesn't he show up? Why doesn't he show up and repair that relationship? Why doesn't he show up and help me overcome this struggle? 
Why doesn't he show up and fix this problem in my life and in this world? If Jesus loves me, why does he show up? If Jesus loves his church, why was 2016 the worst year on record for the persecution of Christians around the world? So I think we need to talk about the lateness, the tardiness of Jesus. And and I want to bring these questions to uh, this chapter, to this story. And and I want us to find that Jesus is late for three reasons. He is late for the sake of truth. He is late for the sake of grief. And he is late for the sake of change. First of all, truth. When Jesus does uh, finally show up, Martha doesn't even let him get to the house. She run and runs and meets him at the city limits. And she poses the question, essentially, that we are posing this morning. Jesus, why didn't you show up? If you had been here, my brother wouldn't have died. And Jesus responds by telling her the truth. Lazarus will rise from the dead. And Martha, being a well-educated Jewish woman, agrees with that fact. Yes, he will rise from the dead when God comes and raises all of his people from the dead. And note what Jesus doesn't do. He doesn't say, no, 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 Martha, you don't understand. I'm about to raise him from the dead in a few minutes. How comforting would that have been? Martha, don't worry about it. In just a few moments, you will embrace your living brother who was dead. Not what he says to Martha. He says, I am the resurrection and the life. Why? Well, because Jesus is at work here, not just for Lazarus, but he's at work in the life of Martha. And he is bringing her to the truth, not just as a factual event, but to the deeper reality of truth as a person. He is helping her to know, to experience, to encounter her hope. Her great dream for the future present in him, right in front of her face. Do you see the comfort he gives to Martha? It is not thinking about what will happen. It is embracing who he is. I and the resurrection and the life. And see, if Jesus hadn't come on time, Martha wouldn't have known Jesus at that level. She would have known him as a healer, as a teacher. And those are true things. Those are good things. But there is a deeper reality to Jesus. There is a divine reality to Jesus. He is the Word, the one who was with God, the one who was God, made flesh. He is the power of God embodied. The power that is the source of life, 
The power that can overcome death and remake and sustain life. Jesus is the embodiment of that power. And he wants Martha to know him as the truth. To be comforted by him as the truth. And he wants you to know the same. The lateness of Jesus reveals that we cannot relate to him as if he is a handyman. You know, got a problem, pick up the phone, and it gets fixed fast. That's not Jesus. When you encounter Jesus, you encounter a mystery. You encounter a mystery of fully God, fully human. You encounter the mystery of God's infinite power and control embodied as the truth in a person. And Jesus is truth not as content that we master, but as mystery to which we surrender. This story compels us to open our hands of control. Our demand for life to go as it should. It opens our clenched fists to say, I want resurrection. I want life on my schedule. I want life according to my agenda. This story will not allow us to do that. It forces us to encounter a mystery that is unmanageable by us. A mystery who is uncontrollable by us. And to whom we cannot demand, but to whom we must surrender. Now, why would we do that? That's kind of scary, isn't it? Why would we do that? Well, there are a lot of reasons, but one reason for doing that is our second point. That Jesus, in his lateness, he he, he is late not only for the sake of truth, he is late also for the sake of grief. It is remarkable to me The way that he deals differently with these two sisters. They both say the same thing. Mary, after being called by Jesus, comes to him and says the same thing that Martha said. Why didn't you show up? Why didn't you show up? If you had been here, our brother wouldn't have died. And with Martha, Jesus enters almost this this deep theological discussion. But not with Mary. With Mary, he is silent. And he is deeply troubled. And he is greatly sorrowful. And they take him to the tomb and he weeps. Modern translations back away from the extremity of the language here. This is not Jesus with a little tear trickling down his cheek. This is ugly crying. 
You know what I'm saying? That phrase there, deeply troubled in spirit, it is language used to describe a bellowing animal. Used to describe a bull snorting and pawing the ground. You see, Jesus is raging with grief. He is weeping not just with sorrow, sadness, but with anger. He rages with grief standing in front of the tomb. He rages with grief in response to the trauma of a world as it should not be full of death in many forms. And maybe you thought about this as we read it, or you've, you've heard this story and wanted before. Why? This in some ways seems inauthentic. Because Jesus knows that he is about to raise Lazarus from the dead. And so as with Martha, he doesn't say to Mary, stop your crying. Dry your tears. Because you're about to embrace your brother living who was dead. Why? Because Jesus came into the world not to wipe away Mary's tears, but to share them. Jesus came into the world Not just to reason with grief. Not just to speak about grief. But to enter and to fully experience the grief of this shattered world full of death. And see, if he had come on time, Mary wouldn't have experienced him like that Mary would have experienced him fixing the problem, not sharing in the deep frustration and sorrow of losing the one whom she loved. You see, to say That Jesus is the resurrection of life and the life. To say that he is the embodiment of infinite divine power and control is not to say that he is aloof. It is not to say that he remains at a distance, emotionless, without passion. It is not to say that he's like a puppet master. Who stands up on high and just manipulates the strings. No, he is the word who became flesh. And becoming flesh, he became woundable. He entered the deep trauma, the deep sorrow of living in a world that has been shattered. That is full of death and disappointment and sorrow. Grief. And because of that, we do not grieve alone. Mary did not grieve alone, and nor do we. 
tomorrow will mark, of course, Martin Luther King Day and remember his life and the legacy of the civil rights movement. But you do understand, don't you, that many in our city, many in our country, tomorrow will be a day of mourning. It will be a day of sorrow. It will be a day of weeping and even a day of anger. Because they continue to experience the trauma of racism. And it's profound impact on our city and on our country. Jesus does not say to them, and nor should we, by the way, Jesus does not say to them, stop your whining. He does not say to them, stop your crying. Stop being sad. No, he came into the world to share their profound, Grief. He came into the world to rage with sorrow at its brokenness, at its tragedy. This week, some of you will feel the deep and exhausting frustration of living in this world as it should not be. From, from large experiences to small experiences of that sadness, that sorrow, the disappointment, the loss of your life not being what you wanted it to be. The loss of a loved one or the loss of a dream. How you have been harmed or maybe even how you have harmed others. Jesus does not say to you, stop it. Stop your crying. Stop your whining. Jesus came into this world to deeply share your sorrow. You do not grieve alone. What a great comfort that is. But here's the good news. Jesus' grief... He's not inert. He does not, in his sadness, in his anger, he does not remain still and silent. No, deeply moved, greatly troubled, he moves and he speaks. And we find out that Jesus is late, not only for the sake of truth, not only for the sake of grief, but for the sake of change. The profoundest change possible. You see, with Mary and Martha, Jesus is revealing who he is. With Lazarus, he connects who he is to what he does. To what he is doing. Mary and Martha experience his character. Lazarus experience his, his work. He experiences Jesus not as the resurrection and life in theory, but as the resurrection and life in practice. Calling him out of death and into life. The profoundest change possible. And think about it again. If Jesus had been on time, Lazarus wouldn't have experienced the work of Jesus to this depth. Healing is good. Resurrection's better. <laughs> right? But now what does this have to do with us? 
Jesus is late for the sake of Lazarus's change, but what about us? Well, it's really important to realize and remember that John, as a gospel writer, is telling a larger story. And in chapter 11, and chapter 11 functions as a pivot point in his story. It is the transition for the first part to the second part. The second part is focused on Jesus headed to the cross. And the resurrection of Lazarus in the Gospel of John is the triggering event that takes the growing opposition to Jesus amongst the religious leaders and turns it into a concrete plan to kill him. The resurrection of of Lazarus triggers the assassination plot of Jesus. So see... The flow, Lazarus' new life, leads to Jesus' death. The disciples understood that. They understood as they were walking to Bethany, they were walking closer to Jerusalem, and they said, we're going to go and we're going to die with him. And Jesus freely chose to walk towards that death. And it's almost as if he and Lazarus pass each other on the road. He calls Lazarus out of the tomb and then he walks past him, continuing in his movement towards the tomb. That's the movement of this chapter. Jesus moving closer and closer and closer to the tomb. And he doesn't stop in John 11. He keeps walking. He keeps walking into Jerusalem to the cross, to his own tomb with a stone rolled in front of it. Why? Well, he does it to make Lazarus' resurrection only a hint. Only a hint. See, Lazarus walking out of the tomb is only a faint glimmer of what Jesus does through his own life, death, and resurrection in your life. If you believe in Him, if you belong to Him, Lazarus is only a hint of the remarkable work, the remarkable transformation that Jesus is working in you. Jesus kept walking towards the tomb as He called Lazarus out of the tomb so that, as Ephesians says, we who were dead in our trespasses and sins could be made alive together with him. Jesus is showing himself to be the resurrection and the life in your And he walks to the tomb in order to do that. In order to say about you what we heard earlier in the service. That you are a new creation. Lazarus is only a small glimmer of the work that Jesus is doing in you, in us, through us. As we believe in Him.
as we belong to Him. So let me ask you, why are we so cynical? Why are we so cynical about our own lives? Why are we so cynical about the people in our lives? Why are we cynical about the world around us? If Jesus is calling us, if Jesus died to call us, New creation. If Lazarus is only a hint of the work that he is doing in and through us. Why are we so cynical? There used to be a a, a great majestic oak out in front of the Leon County Library. Uh, But that oak died. (laughs) And it rotted. And it became a safety hazard. And so the county decided they had to take this tree down. But instead of just completely removing the the tree, they had an artist come in and take the stump and make it a really lovely sculpture. It's a reading book theme sculpture out in front of the library. And while that process uh, was going on, the tree or what was left of the tree was surrounded by scaffolding. One Saturday, we took our kids to the library, and we pulled in the parking lot, and one of our kids said, look, that tree is in prison. (laughs) That's the mistake we make with our lives. We look at our lives, and we are not changing as fast as we would like to change Uh, Things aren't happening the way that we want them uh, to happen. We are not experiencing the life that we thought we should experience if we believed and belonged to Jesus. And we look at our life and say, look, I'm in prison. When in reality, Jesus is at work creating something that reflects not just human beauty, but that reflects the beauty of God. Jesus is glorifying himself. When you hear glory, hear visibility, visible beauty and power. Jesus is displaying the visible beauty and power of God in your life, in my life, in our life together as his church. So why are we so cynical? Can you see that Jesus' lateness, it doesn't contradict his love? It doesn't obscure his love? Can you see how in John 11, the lateness, the tardiness of Jesus, it reveals his love in a better way? It It opens vistas with beauty. That we have never seen before. A love that reveals the highest truth. A love that provides the deepest comfort. And a love that is more powerful than sin and death. And to believe in Jesus is to belong to that kind of love. Can you rest 
in that today. Will you let that this week empower you to live as a new creation, reflecting the beauty and the glory of God? Let's pray.